sometimes it's helpful to go through a reading line by line. And John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is an example of this. This is our reading today for the for Sunday after Christmas. So let's go through this uh, more or less line by line together. Verse number 1 from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 also begins with these same three words, in the beginning. So John is emphasizing continuity. And to do this, he goes back to the beginning, to the beginning of the Bible and to the beginning of creation. John introduces what seems to be a division here. The word is with God, describing a relationship. In fact, there is a relationship, but but not of two parts, but of a whole. The word was God, John says. Now, that can be a little uh, tangled up like spaghetti. So he goes on to say in the in verse 2, uh, this this unity of relationship uh, rather than of two different parts, is emphasized in, in verse 2. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So the word beginning here means origin. Anything before the origin must be the pre-existing creator of that origin. But it doesn't make sense that there would be two creators. who, who you know, One of them had, would have had to uh, be there first. So we're talking about a single creator. Uh, anything that was with the creator at the origin must therefore also be the creator who is responsible for the for the origin. So really what John is getting at in these first three verses here is that there is a a, a relational component, a rela- I don't even want to say component, but a relational, uh, God is relational is what he's saying. There's a relationship with and within the word and God is made clear uh, uh, in these first two verses that uh, that there is a relationship with with and within the word and and God is made clear in these first two verses. The one way to put that is that the word and God are correlated. Now, verse three establishes this word as the Creator. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. As what's also going on here, whether we like it or not, uh, is that verse three also genders the word. The Greek pronoun "auto" him is masculine, and um, and we can't wish that away. And nor is it incidental. Um, there's a masculinity here that is uh, in the text um, and essential to the nature of God. Uh, It's essential because it personalizes the word. The word is a person and the word is a he. So our access, our ability to access this understanding of God as a person is through uh, the masculine. God is a person. In fact, there are three persons, uh, but we won't get into the spirit today. Uh, We're just going to be talking about the Father and the Son. And what that means for to say that God is a person is that God is relatable, he is relatable, and he is knowable. Uh, I can know you because you're a person, I can relate to you because I'm a person. That's how I know, how I know you, how I relate to you. Um, And the reason for that is that you and I are both creatures uh, created by this creator God uh, who is relatable and knowable, and that's an aspect we we share, that we inherit in a way, uh, our relatability and our knowability. John chapter 1 is is certainly one of the deeper and... uh, more thought-provoking and, and even uh, mystical uh, passages in the Bible. It's very, it's profound. And so if this seems a bit garbled to you, you're, you're not alone. Um, I'm hopefully helping you by walking through the verses with you together. But I encourage you to do this yourself and let, let it seep, seep, seep in. What other better time? Maybe this afternoon, Sunday, the last day of the year. Sunday's also New Year's Eve day. Uh, you have the time. Take, take out your Bibles and read through this passage after you've listened to my, my sermon. 
We can know ourselves and the world around us because this personal God has created us both. Verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. In the word, who is a person, a he, there is life. This life, the life of God, is shared with the human race and is the radiance or the glory of our race. Uh, this, this uh, Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I find this verse to be full, full of hope. Uh, just like the previous verse, the life of God is the light of men. Um, our glory comes from God as a reflection of his light. And now that light we see in verse 5 shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As I said, this is a verse that's full of hope. One image that strikes me, it comes to mind, I heard it recently, is uh, someone once said, if you want a white lamppost, you need to keep painting the lamppost white, right? You know, you need to go out there every day and paint it. paint it. But if you want a blank, uh, a black lamppost, you don't need to do anything at all. Uh, just let it be and it will turn black on you. A white lamppost will turn black. But a, uh, And so you don't need to do anything if you want a black lamppost. Over a white lamppost, you need to keep that fresh and painted all the time. But this is the opposite with God. Psalm 139 verse 12 says, even the darkness is not dark to thee. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with thee. And Isaiah 60 verse 2 reads, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. What John is saying here in in verse 5 is that though darkness covers the whole creation, it makes no difference to the light. The light is not even aware of the darkness. So it is for, for men, for those of us, you and me, who who radiate God's light. Um, they are not overcome by evil and darkness. We we humans who, and I should say men and women here is in, implied in the inclusive term men, uh, the way it's used in, in John, um, we are not overcome by evil and darkness if we have the light of, of God, the light of Christ in us. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7, he came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came be- came to bear witness to the light. So John is moving now from the creation and a lofty portrait of God's internal life to more recent events in his lifetime uh, in Palestine. A prophet has arisen, John, the first one in hundreds of years. This is, this is uh, the first real prophet to appear um, since Malachi. Uh, and the last prophet to bear witness to the coming Messiah. For this reason, Jesus says of John the Baptist, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So why does John move so quickly from contemporary, from creation to contemporary events? And the answer is because, verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. You see, John is eager to write his gospel. He's eager to tell the story of Jesus Christ. Now, is it true that this light enlightens every man? because the following verses would say otherwise, would seem to say otherwise, verses 10 and verses 11. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. Verse 11, he came to his own home, and his own people received him not. The creation clearly does not recognize its creator, and the Jews do not recognize their Messiah. So how can John say in his gospel that the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world? Well, I think it's because John is only speaking of those men and women who are alive. And by alive here, I don't mean walking around upright and drawing breath. Many people who walk around upright for the span of a few decades are no better than the walking dead. And I think this is probably why zombie stories are so popular. And frankly, zombies is what many of us are. I mean, those who are born again, 
who have life, who have the life of God in them, they are enlightened. I think that's what John, that's what John's getting at here. If you're born again uh, to newness of life, then you have this light in you. Uh, and, and really what he's getting at here is that only those who are born again can truly be called men because they alone are, they alone are truly alive. This is what John means when he writes, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now we who put our faith in his name receive power, and we receive the kind of power that regenerates. Before our new births, we were children of men, each of us born of a woman, and those are those are the biblical uh, and gendered ways, poetic ways of saying we are human. I don't really have any problem with that there to say that we are all children of men and each of us is born born of a woman. Uh, I think it's a very um, visceral, essential way of describing our human condition. And the Bible makes use of that, uh, an ancient sort of poetic um, conceit of Hebrew, the Hebrew language. Um, but now we are Christians, the children of God. A Christian is not born of the marriage bed or some other unmarried act of lust, but directly begotten of God. So you think about that. All of us are born because our mothers and fathers copulated and we came are the result of that of that physical union. Now, maybe our parents were married or maybe they weren't. Maybe we never knew our parents. Um, that's how the children of men, uh, the natural line of the human race is continued. But the Christian is not born that way. The Christian is not born of the marriage bed. Verse 14 tells us how the Christian is born, or I should say the preceding verses tell us how, how the, the Christian is born. We are born not of blood, not of, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. God has a direct hand in, in, in our regeneration, in our new birth. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So John now names himself as an eyewitness. He's saying we, he and his company of apostles, the other company of apostles, um, we have we have seen him. We have seen the glory, beheld his glory as of the only Son from the Father. I think he's probably thinking of the moment of transfiguration, but also uh, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And this is the basis, this eyewitness account, this is the basis of, of his and all apostolic authority, the eyewitness and personal authority here is why the New Testament can be trusted. It's, it's also why other writings, uh, some of them are very early Christian writings like the Shepherd of Hermas or the Epistle to, of Clement, uh, later pseudo, you know, supposed gospels like the Gospel of Thomas. These are these are not authentic. These are not, um, even if they are orthodox, uh, when I'm not saying the Gospel of Thomas is orthodox, but certainly the Epistle of Clement, uh, Shepherd of Hermas, these other books that, that aren't in the New Testament they lack the personal authority of the apostle. They lack the eyewitness authority. Um, and this is why the New Testament can be trusted, because only only that which came from um, apostolic origin made it into the New Testament. So it, really what you would have to do to deny John's uh, testimony here is call him a liar. Um, you really have to say that. You'd have to say, John, you're a liar, and I don't believe that you saw Jesus, and I don't believe you saw his glory, and I don't believe you know what you're talking about. Um, and... Um, and 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 that's really the only way around getting around uh, what he's saying here with authority. Either he's telling the truth or he's not. Um, John and his friends saw the glory of the Word in flesh, alive and dwelling with them. Now, this glory of the incarnate Word is different than ours. 
because we reflect glory, but this is the source of glory. John is talking about Jesus here as the source of glory. This incarnate word who has a glory that is unique and original to himself. It's an only begotten glory. Uh, the Greek is monogenes, uh, one of a kind, one of a kind glory. Uh, the glory that we have is shared. It's a, it's a shared glory. It's a reflected glory. Uh, and it's really only ever by imitation. Uh, we imitate Christ. We imitate God in his uh, moral and ethical uh, attributes. We attain to, we, we strive to achieve a moral perfection. Uh, the imitation of Christ is, is a moral imitation. Um, the relationship of the word, the relationship of the word with God, is now further described. It's a familiar relationship. It's a father-son relationship. So that's important here. The glory as of the only Son from the Father. Um, we've been talking a lot about this relationship that's inherent in God. This relationship of persons, and now those persons are identified as a Father and a Son. But they're not two gods. I need to stress that again. John is not talking about two gods, but only one God. Verse 15, John the Baptist bore witness to him and cried, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. The Apostle John wants us to understand the word is Jesus, the same man whom John baptized, even though John hasn't mentioned him by name yet. Um, but it's clear that if, if he's citing John's um, identification of Jesus, pointing him out in the crowd, we know it was Jesus because Jesus later comes forward to John to be baptized. Um, so we know John, the evangelist here, is talking about Jesus. Um, verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the big reveal for John. Here he finally, after 16 verses, he winds up and he says, he reveals who this incarnate word is, who this son, this only begotten son is, and it's, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, there's no conflict or contradiction between Moses and Jesus, between law and gospel. This word that John has been talking about, the word is the author of both. The law is a grace given by God through Moses to teach right from wrong and to reveal the holiness of God and God's holy hatred of sin. Right, so that's the main one of the main purposes of law is to simply to 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 point out what is right and wrong to to separate to separate. Um, all that is holy from all that is not holy, and also to to realize how much God is at war with what is not holy, um, and 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 means to destroy it. One of the messianic roles here, one of Jesus's reasons for coming is to destroy sin. Um, so we really can't make any accommodation uh, with sin in our own lives. Grace upon grace here refers to the gift of the law and the gift of being able to obey it. It's a twofold gift. We get the law, and we also get to obey it. Uh, you get to have your cake and you get to eat it too, right? That's uh, that's that's kind of what we're getting at here. The law is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Its its penalties are satisfied in full by His blood, and that blood is now the new life in us. Blood is always a symbol of life in the Bible, and so now this blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross is the new life that is in us, a life that lives to keep God's commandments, right? So that's when we are born again, when we are finally able to call ourselves men and finally able to call ourselves women. If you're not born again, as I said, you're, you're really just born to die. Um, it, it, you're not fully alive in the sense God means you to be. Um, and the way you are alive once you're born again is by living to keep God's commandments. You live, you live to live for God. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. So let's take that again. No one has ever seen God. 
the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. How does the word with God, the word made flesh, the only Son, a person in his own right, yet in the bosom of Father, yet in the bosom of the Father, a person who is not two gods but one God, a relationship that is not two gods but one God, how does, how does this Son make God known? And the answer is through his words and sacraments. Do you want to see God? You will. If you want to see God, then you will. You will see him when you read his word, the Bible. You are seeing God. And do you want to see God? Uh, you will also see him when you participate in the sacramental life of your local church. Both of these are gifts. Uh, you don't have to do. You don't have to uh, merit them. They are given to you like the gifts under a Christmas tree. Um, but you do have to do the work of unwrapping them. And so think about it this way. Reading the Bible is a closed book, but you need to open it. You need to set aside the time uh, to read it, and you need to make the effort to understand it. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relatable book. Uh, it's an understandable book. Um, I think even the most basic uh, reader can read it and get something out of it, but if you want to understand it, there are all kinds of aids to help you go deeper in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible. Um, and and we need to make that effort. It's a gift. Uh, we should we should make use of it. We shouldn't just put it up on a shelf and forget about it or take it out whenever we have company. Receiving the sacraments also means setting aside the time and making the effort, not just to go to church, but to live a life worthy of receiving them. There's, you know, there's a, a lot of people out there who just say everybody's welcome to the table and you know come as you are, and, and that's really not right. Um, you need to set aside the time and the space and make it holy. You you know we used to be accustomed of putting on your Sunday best. Why? Because it was a special time. You were consecrating it. You were setting it aside. You were saying, this is not like the rest of the time during the week. And of course, you know, the clothes, in this case, don't necessarily make the man, but they symbolize an effort that is being made. Um, but more importantly is, is, are you living the life that's worthy of receiving the sacraments? When we just say anybody can receive the sacrament to come to the, without any kind of preparation or examination of conscience, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to do. Um, Paul warns us against eating the sacrament and drinking the, the cup and eating the, the bread in an unworthy state. Um, you can't just come from the, 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 the bed of fornication and, and receive communion. You, you can't just come from uh, defrauding someone and receive communion. Um, so really, no, not, not everyone is welcome at the table. Uh, uh, and you, you need to do some, do some of the work. You need, to, you need to repent of your sins. You need to confess your faith in Christ crucified. You need to um, uh, confess your sins to, to God and, and, and have assurance, really, of, of, of your pardon and absolution. You have to understand what Christ did for you. Um, you have to understand that you are a sinner and that, and that, and that Christ paid the ultimate, was born to pay uh, and uh, that ultimate penalty for your sins to suffer and to die and and if you have that then you are uh, if you have that faith then you are born again then 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 the sacraments are 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 appropriate for you to receive um, you 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 need to cover your sins in Christ um, if you want God to to accept you and to see you otherwise his life and his light will go on without you so here we are at the end of the year. Um, turning the calendar page to 2024. A, a, a uh, last day of the year is a Sunday. Tomorrow is New Year's Day, the Feast of the Circumcision of our Lord. The very first time our, our Lord sheds, sheds blood for us is on the eighth day of his life when he's circumcised. Um, a symbol of what is to come in the, in the cross. So I conclude this last sermon of the year urging you to 
confess your sins, to make a good effort to put a stop to your sins, to cover yourself in Christ so that so that God will see you. God does, remember the, the, remember the darkness does not overcome the light, uh, and God is light. He, he doesn't see darkness. Um, so if you want to be seen by God, you need to put on the light of Christ, um, and then God will see you. He will see you as he sees his own son. He will see you full of grace and truth, and moreover, you and I, we will see God together. Amen. Well, I wish you all a happy happy new year and a good and prosperous 2024, and I look forward to being with you in the, in the year to come. God bless.